All right, with that in mind, I invite everyone to turn your Bibles this morning to the book of Psalms, chapter 23. Very familiar passage. Uh, we are doing a series on Sunday mornings on Psalm 23. As you're turning there, I want to make a mention about Sunday evening. Sunday evening, we will be here tonight. Uh, if you want to record the game, if I don't follow any of the teams, I, I told we should tell Dave Renzel that they're canceling the Super Bowl, he being a Chiefs fan. <laughs> but that's okay. But anyway, we will be here at 6 o'clock tonight, and we are doing a series on the life of King Saul uh, as well tonight. And so uh, we will be doing part two of that tonight, so I invite you to be here for that. Anyways, I invite you again, turn your Bibles to Psalm 23. The Bible says, A psalm of David, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures, he leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever." Psalm 23, what a blessing it is to, to go through this. And I think, as we mentioned last week, I think sometimes the more familiar uh, passages of Scripture are sometimes the most uh, maybe misunderstood or least studied. And so Psalm 23 definitely, I think, would qualify in that. It's a blessing. I remember memorizing this psalm when I was, uh, when I was little. And uh, I was actually with my parents here the past couple of days up in Brainerd, just to kind of... Uh, shepherding them, trying to take care of them, some needs that they have. And uh, we were talking about this passage, and my mother uh, reminded me of how much my, my grandmother, my grandmother Sylvia, uh, absolutely loved this passage, and she would have this, uh, I remember her having a little book, uh, in fact, I have a copy of it. Some of you have read A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23 by Philip Keller. I don't know if any of you ever read that book or not. It's been around for some years now. Uh, but he was a shepherd for many, many years, and after observing his sheep, he actually wrote a little book, and it's, it's an easy read, actually, but it's a really good practical book on that. So if there's a book you want to read on Psalm 23, I would definitely recommend that one, A Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23 for, by Philip Keller. And so we're going to be talking today, more specifically, we're, last week was an introduction, and it was really a question, is the Lord your shepherd? Like I said, I think sometimes people read this passage and it's comforting. You hear it sometimes uh, shared at funerals and other, you know, special events like that. But there's really, a, 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 I think, a, a disconnect with people when they read that passage because the Lord is my shepherd, great. But are they really under the care of the shepherd? Do they really want to do that? Or are they really, are they really connected with Jesus, who is the, the good shepherd of the sheep? And so we're going to be looking at this today a little bit more in depth today, especially in verses 1 and 2. And I pray that the Lord would uh, just show us His Word and His truth, and at the end of the day that we would understand that, yes, we can have great care of the shepherd of our souls found in Jesus the Messiah. And so, all right, one thing, uh, Drew, I'm having problems uh, connecting the slides. So, it's, so, anyway, so the care of the shepherd, let's see if it does this. Nope. I'm going to have to restart it. Sorry, bud. Let's try this. That's the wonderful thing about technology. Let's see if it works this time. There we go. Now we're set. All right. The care of the shepherd. 
So the first thing we want to look at this, that's that Psalm 23, it's a Psalm of David. If you notice in your Bibles, actually, there is a, actually a title above the verses, uh, and you'll find that several times throughout the Psalms, and it says here, a Psalm of David. And don't just think that that's in there just to help us out. That's actually a part of Scripture. If you look at a Hebrew Bible, for example, that is actually a part of the verse. We usually glance over it and say, oh, okay, it's just something there. This is actually, this is part of inspired scripture right here. So I want us to understand that. But when we think about a Psalm of David, as he writes this, and there's uh, some debate on when David actually wrote this Psalm. Uh, remember that David, remember when we are first introduced to King David uh, in the scriptures, he, uh, Samuel goes to anoint a new king because Saul had failed, okay? And so he goes out to the to Jesse's home in Bethlehem, and he finds Eliab, Abinadab, and Shammah, the older brothers of, of David. And then finally, they said, isn't there a, uh, another son you have? And yes, and he, but he, why do you want him? He's the runt of the family. So they call, call David. He was watching over his father's sheep, tending to them. They call him, and of course, Samuel anoints him as the next king of Israel. And so uh, as we think about that, David has experience. So did he write that during his times, uh, maybe while he was watching his sheep? Uh, but I think it probably makes more sense that David probably wrote this more at the end of his life. Uh, he reigned in Israel for 40 years and probably towards the end of it, he's probably looking back and maybe thinking about his time there in the fields of Bethlehem, which we're going to go to in just a moment. The good thing is today we get to go to Israel today and get to see some of the, we get to see Psalm 23 lived out practically. And I think in a fresh way that helps us in our understanding of that. So let's talk about King David. He's a shepherd. Uh, he's a brave shepherd on top of that. He cares for his sheep, but also we know that he uh, protects his sheep. Remember, he killed a lion and a bear who was trying to harm the flock. And so he did that. And of course, he uh, was probably on his free time practicing with that sling. And we know the story of Goliath. And so amazing what God did with him. And the Bible says, uh, it describes David that God took him, says, from the sheep coat, from the, from the sheep pen, if you will, to the throne of Israel. What an amazing transformation. But yet there's a lot of interesting parallel that David had in becoming that shepherd, not just of sheep, but shepherd of a nation as well. So in order to do that, as we, as we look here in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Let's go to Israel and let's see here the land of the shepherd. And so if you look here on the map, you will see there in uh, Jerusalem and right below Jerusalem is, is Bethlehem as you see on the southern part there. And this is the area where David uh, lived and where he grew up. Now, if you want to say this, that Bethlehem is only about seven, eight miles, a little bit south of Jerusalem. So it's actually pretty close. One thing you remember about Israel, we mentioned before that Israel is about the size of the state of New Jersey or put in layman's terms, Israel can fit inside Lake Michigan and still have room to water ski around it. Okay, so it's a, it's a pretty small area that we're talking about, especially compared to the Middle East. But this is the area and this is the landscape of, of the shepherd. Now, one thing about the shepherd here, I want us to understand this, is that the shepherd uh, was in an area that was known as the wilderness, the wilderness of, of Israel. And uh, the word uh, wilderness in Hebrew is called midbar. Midbar is many times is translated as desert. But I think what happens in our mind, we think of desert, what do we think of? Like the Sahara, for example all these big sand dunes and all that. And that is definitely a part of that. 
But when we're talking, especially in the geography of Israel, we're, we're thinking in terms of just more as a, as a wilderness, and, and it varies in its different areas. Um, for example, if you're looking at the map, you go to northern Israel, like where the Galilee is. If you go in the lower Galilee, and uh, there were, of course, there was two types of people. Remember, let me go back to this. It's interesting about the shepherd. Uh, that the shepherds would uh, have farmers that they grew crops and all that. But when Israel first came into the land, they were more so watching their flocks and they ended up taking over uh, the shepherds. You can find that in the book of Joshua. But what happened was this, that as uh, initially there was a lot of grazing land for, for sheep and for cattle. But that interfered with the farmers who were wanting to do their work. If you know anything about farming or planting, even if you have a little hobby garden, you don't want animals going through and uh, your tomatoes and cucumbers and everything like that. All right. It just is counterproductive, right, to do that. And so you have to keep those separate. So up in the northern part of Israel, uh, you have the area on the gra- in the Galilee, but it's a lot more green. It's a lot more lush. And so what would happen is this, that there would be some outlying areas where shepherds would take their sheep. Uh, into those areas. But the area that David grew up in and the area that he shepherded looked a little bit more like this. What we are looking at here, this is the wilderness of Judea. This is a midbar. This is a pasture for sheep in the Middle East. Looks a little different than Wisconsin, doesn't it? Or New Zealand, when you think of the sheep from there, okay? So this is the area where David is watching over his sheep. This is, this is an area near Bethlehem that's actually in the background. You're going into the Jordan Valley. In the far distance, you're seeing Jericho, okay? So this is the area that you're looking at. I tell you what, would you want to bring your sheep to this area? Would you want to live in this area? No, but yeah, this is where David watched over his father's sheep. Now, I got a question for you, and this is where we're going to learn a little bit about the weather system. People like to talk to weather to pass the time. I love to talk to we- about the weather because it really brings the Bible to life. That's our purpose, okay? So what do I mean by that? Different seasons of the year in Israel, it, it, things vary. And so this landscape will change. And so there are two major seasons, weather seasons in the year. You have a dry season, which goes from about May to November. And then from November to April-ish is called the rainy season, meaning that's the time of the year when it rains. It's not like a monsoon all the time. It's a a rain. By the way, this past year, uh, Israel has received a good bit of rain, especially in northern Israel and the Sea of Galilee, which is one third of Israel's fresh water supply has actually filled up. It's really amazing. Uh, the miracle of that here recently. So with that, uh, so when you, when you come to the, the rainy season of the year, this is where Israel depends on getting that rain. Like I said, when you're in Israel, we, our family lived there for several years, it doesn't rain a drop. It's sunshiny day with a few passing clouds from basically, like I said, from May to November. It's like that. If you get any earlier rains, let's say it starts raining, let's say in September, October, those are what is called the former rains. Maybe you've read about that in the Bible, the former rains. So those are the former or early rains. It, it's not supposed to rain. It's like this, when it snows in um, the first week of October, that's a little early for us, okay? And we hope that it's not a sign of things to come, right? This year is like whatever. This is a total opposite from last year, isn't it? Weather-wise, Minnesota. I digress. So. Anyways, you have the other side of the weather system, and that is at the end, let's say it stops raining, the rainy season, let's say in April. So any rains that happen in, let's say, May or even June, which is really rare, those are called the latter rains. 
Okay, so yeah, the former reigns, the latter reigns. But in this, the people of Israel are dependent on any rainfall that comes. Now, going back to where we are here in the Judean desert and south in the Negev desert, uh, that is south there. Let's go back to the map. So you go from Bethlehem south, you can see the Dead Sea, and you go further south, you get into the Negev desert and then the Arava. The Arava area receives very little water. For example, at the Dead Sea, they average only about four inches of rain a year. Okay, it's a very dry climate. And so even where you are in the Negev, let's say you're in Beersheba, for example, the home of Abraham, you may be about 16 inches of rain a year. So very little rainfall. And so this is what happens, though. I love this time of year when the first rains come in the fall, in, let's say, November. When those first rains call, what happens is this, is that the first rains come and that water will flow in the desert. I remember this. I'll give you a story to illustrate this. Uh, we would often go down to Beersheba, from Tel Aviv to Beersheba, get in our van, and we're driving to do some ministry. It's about an hour and a half drive. But as, the, as you got closer to Beersheba, this is the gateway to the Negev Desert, you get in these desert landscapes, you see signs, camel crossings. All right, here we have deer crossings, there they have camel crossings. All right. So as you see that, what happens is this, after a, a rainfall, even if it's just light, what will happen is that that desert, which was just barren and brown, changes to green and it blossoms like a rose just a beautiful landscape and so you're seeing this a dry climate let's say maybe in the summertime here this is the area where you do that okay and so you rely on that but another thing that happens is really really cool is this that you have the um i'm going to go back to the map you see the mediterranean sea the winds generally blow from uh from the west coming into israel and so it is dry, hot, and all that. But what happens in the, in the evening is you feel those sea breezes come. Our first apartment, we live right on the Tayelet, on the boardwalk of the Mediterranean, just south of Tel Aviv. And so in the evening, it'd be like so hot. And then about six o'clock, almost on the dot, six o'clock, all of a sudden we would open our windows and that fresh sea breeze would start coming in and you feel that salt and fresh, a little bit of moisture in the air. You can imagine what happens then when it comes this way and hits this area. All of a sudden, a little bit of dew, a little bit of moisture, all of a sudden there's pockets of little pieces of grass enough to feed the shepherd, okay? So let's talk about the land of the shepherd again. This, so this is again, think of David out watching his father's flock and this is much like that would have been, grazing and shepherding his flock through that. So this is probably a little bit different picture than what most people think of when they read here, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And especially when he makes me to lie down in green pastures, leads me by side still waters. But remember this, let's talk now about the relationship between the shepherd and the sheep. And this is the important thing. For the sheep, the shepherd is everything. The shepherd is his provider. The shepherd is his protector. The shepherd is his guide. No matter where he goes. Sheep, have you ever worked with sheep? I was talking with Skip uh, last week about this, you watched, what, about 60 sheep? Are they smart animals? Are they smart animals? You, you heard it from an expert, okay. <laughs> Dumber than a box of rocks. So, in other words, sheep need a good shepherd just to live and thrive and survive, okay? So this is very important, but for the sheep, whether they realize or not, the shepherd is anything, is, is everything. Let me just say this, we are, the Bible says, we are the sheep of his pasture. Whether you realize or not, you need the shepherd. 
You need Jesus. Everyone needs that. Without him, we, we're astray. We're left to our own devices. You try to figure out life on your own. Let me ask you, if you're doing that, how's that going for you? It's rough, isn't it? How desperately we need the shepherd. So let's break this down here, step by step here in this passage of the first two verses. The first uh, verse is, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord, well, who is this? Who is the Lord? This is the covenant name of God. And who is he? This is none other than the Lord is our God creator king. He is the, the one who made the universe, who made this world, and who made you. He's, the, he's the, our wise creator, and he is our king. Uh, we mentioned uh, last week when you compare Psalms, go to Psalm 22, 23, and 24. When you looked at that as a big picture, you see a Messiah who, or uh, really a, a shepherd that suffers, a, mas- a Messiah or a shepherd that's present in, in verse tw- uh, chapter 24, a Messiah who's sovereign. A shepherd who's sovereign. And so, but the Lord is my shepherd. Now, when we think about this, we think about the shepherd is this. That picture is oftentimes used in Israel. Let's talk about a few shepherds in the Bible. The first mention of a shepherd is Abel. Remember Abel? He's the son of Adam and Eve. He had a brother whose name was Cain. And what happened? Cain killed Abel. All right. But we're introduced to Abel as a shepherd. Okay. Later on, we see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob also having flocks. Remember with Abraham, we could, I wish we could go on this. I, I wish I could take you to Israel and see where this happened. But there, remember, there was a big argument between Abraham and Lot over their flocks. Okay, And that had to do with pasture land, which you just saw a moment ago. They were fighting over that? Interesting. Okay, Another person we're introduced to as a shepherd who did not begin as a shepherd, in fact, uh, Skip, you wouldn't believe this. This person started to be a shepherd when he was 40 years of age. That was Moses. All right. Moses started becoming a shepherd, and he, God used that those years in the wilderness, watching over Jethro's flocks, and then he ends up being the shepherd of Israel. We see David, of course. We mentioned that earlier, being a shepherd. Uh, the prophet Amos from the village of Tekoa. Man, that's another place I wish I could take you. Tekoa is an amazing place. But we see here Amos is a shepherd. And of course, we mentioned that the Lord, or really the Messiah, is the shepherd. And we're introduced then in, in John's gospel that Jesus comes out and he introduces himself as, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. So the, the shepherd imagery is powerful in, in, that, in, in that regard. Now, the word shepherd itself, I must say this, that the Hebrew word, the, the, the rich meaning of that, is really one who looks upon or watches over. That's what a shepherd does. A shepherd watches over or looks upon the sheep. The important thing is this, that the shepherd cares for you. Let me say this, that the good shepherd, as he cares for you, remember this, when, I'm going to go back a couple pages because I think we're still trying to get used to this, this idea, that here it, is, you look like, it looks like a land that lacks everything, Right? But with the good shepherd in the land that lacks everything, it will become a land that lacks nothing. You have to understand this. The good shepherd takes us through, maybe your life looks like this. And you're wondering, how am I going to make it? How am I going to make, how can I put one foot in front of the other, so to speak? But when you trust the good shepherd, the land that lacks everything will become the land that lacks nothing. So with that, let's talk then next about this next phrase, I shall not want. The idea here is I shall not want. I'll be honest with you. I actually misunderstood this as a child. I shall not want. I shall not want anything. 
What, what does this mean? Um, there are some people who say, well, if we trust Jesus as our shepherd, we will have no desires, no want. That's almost like Buddhism, to be honest with you. And, but people misunderstand that because of the, the English word here. This is an older English. Do you remember, maybe some of you remember this, maybe some of you heard it yourself. Was it a Frank Liddell Roosevelt who, who talked about we, have, we should have a freedom from want? Remember that? A freedom from, what do you say, freedom of speech. Freedom of worship, freedom of religion. He mentioned that. But he talked about, FDR talked about a freedom of wants. And what does that mean? Really, the idea here is, and it's an older English word that simply means, I shall not lack or I shall not be in need. The word uh, being lacked there is that I shall not be in need. So here's the idea. God will always provide the needs uh, for us under his care. That's the idea. I shall not want, which means I shall not be in need. He, the God will provide all my needs. You know, God cared for Israel in the wilderness. Think of that wilderness experience as God led his, the children of Israel through the wilderness. He says in Deuteronomy, he says, and I have led you 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes are not waxing old upon you. In other words, your clothes didn't wear out. Your shoes didn't wear out. I provided for you. Psalm 37 says this, I have been young and now am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken nor is seen begging bread. God provides, we will not lack anything. We see this in the New Testament. Jesus himself even promised that the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus said, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, what you shall drink, nor yet for the body, what you should put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Behold, the fowls of the air, they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? You see this, God takes care of us. The good shepherd takes care of his own. Jesus, the good shepherd, will meet our needs. What are we supposed to do? Just simply trust him. What a blessing that is. You know, going back to the image of the wilderness, the children of Israel as they wandered for those 40 years, God fed Israel like a shepherd. How did he feed the people in the wilderness? He fed them with two things, quail and manna, exactly. Manna, by the way, what is manna? The Hebrew translation is simply, what is it? That's, and that's what the children of Israel said. They saw manna coming from heaven, and they looked at this as, what is it? And the Hebrew word is manna, manna, what is it? And the name stuck. It's like that candy bar, whatchamacallit. Okay, it's, it's like that, Okay. <laughs> But anyways, here's the idea. The shepherd cares for you. We will not lack anything. Beautiful picture. Now, here's another interesting thing. Look in verse 2. It says, He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. So we talked about earlier these pastures of these rocky areas, and this is where shepherds would take the sheep. And to be honest with you, you're looking at this, and man, there's not a whole lot to you. You can see some green there. This is probably like in the springtime in Israel. But like in the summer, People are traveling from place to place with their sheep. How, how do they do that? So here's the thing. Let me just give you an I I illustration. You remember Mark Twain, Samuel Clemens. He wrote uh, The Innocents Abroad. In, in 1867, Mark Twain went and visited the Middle East. He went and visited Syria and Israel. And when he comes there, he's actually in the northern part of Israel. And this is what he wrote. He looked at the landscape, and he saw a shepherd tending his sheep and goats, and this is what he said. Mark Twain said, A great herd of curious-looking Syrian goats and sheep were gratefully eating gravel. I only suppose they were eating gravel, because there did not appear to be anything else for them to eat. That was his observation from Mark Twain. 
And true enough, what is there to eat? It looks like there's nothing there. But here's the thing, the idea of a green pasture, we think of this, you know, that we think of like maybe New Zealand or, you know, belly high alfalfa, this is what we graze on. And if we trust the Lord, if he's our shepherd, he's gonna lead us to a place where we don't have to worry about a thing. It's like, you know, you're just eating at a buffet forever and ever and ever, that's the idea. But here's the thing, in this life, point number one, the, the good shepherd feeds us. This is the important thing, he feeds us. The idea makes me lie down. Let's start with that idea. The, the idea makes me lie down has the idea. This is saying that our good shepherd lays us down is similar to the way that he invites us to lay down in lovely places. Just as we might say a waiter seats us at a table. In other words, this is an invitation. To, for those who trust in the Lord, those who are his sheep that belong to God, he invites us to come and lie down. It's an invitation just like a waiter brings you to the table. Will you come with me? But even more important, it's not just a stranger, it's the shepherd who deeply cares for you and will feed you. He makes me lie down though in green pastures. What are the green pastures? Green pastures in the, the idea in Hebrew is this, it's that literally pastures of tender new grass, fresh grass. Like we mentioned before, when that dew comes over the Judean hills and overnight it springs up, it's fresh, it's new, it's not old. This is what God will provide for us. The good shepherd provides us, this is the idea, he provides us with a safe place to rest and eat. You know, hungry sheep don't rest. They do not lie down until they have been satisfied. They're always on the move for that. So it's important for them to understand that. But here's the thing, as God provides us with a safe place to rest and eat and to satisfy our needs, and going back to the, the landscape of Israel, God provides both things. He provides the rain and the dew, and also the food that comes with it. God is our great provider. One thing about Israel too is this, that a shepherd, if you look at this here, you can eat of the grass in this area, but eventually you're gonna have to move on. And this is the thing in our life that we do not stay in one spot. God doesn't call you just to be, hey, you're my child, just eat here, you're set for life. You'll never have any problems again. God as the shepherd, what does he do? He leads his sheep. He will lead his sheep to green pastures. They eat here for a while, and after that's eaten up, you're going to move over here and eat another place. They're constantly moving. Even so in this life, we are constantly moving in this world, okay? This world is not our home. We're just passing through. But each step of the way, God gives us enough. He meets our needs at specific areas. So the invitation is this. Come to the good shepherd and be filled because the good shepherd cares for you. The next uh, statement we have here is beside still waters. He says here, he leadeth me beside the still waters. The good shepherd leads us. Remember, a shepherd does not drive his sheep. He, he leads a sheep. He, he goes in front of them there. He leads us. And the idea is this. This is very intentional. Uh, meaning God leads us not in a haphazard way. He leads us intentionally to the places that know are the best for us, for his sheep. Okay. With that in mind, a wise shepherd knows the exact locations of still waters in the wilderness. Let's talk about that. He makes me lie down in green pasture. He leads me beside the still waters. What are these still waters that we're talking about? As we looked before at this wilderness, even here, it's hard to find water in the desert. Good water. There's a couple different types of water that are in the wilderness. First of all, you have natural sources of water, such as rainwater. You have water holes, maybe small ponds. And then you also have springs. 
that happen, that, that you can find. Uh, other sources of water in the wilderness that you might find would be wells that are handmade and also cisterns that collect the rainwater and runoff water. And those five things are what are the sources of water in the wilderness. But as you think about that, if you really explore this area, there's, it's for the untrained eye, there's not much water out there. Uh, I have heard so many stories of those who have wandered in the Negev Desert in southern Israel, and they brought, I know one story in particular when we were living there, there was two guys that were hiking, young men, and uh, they only took one water bottle with them, a small water bottle. They go out in the desert on a hike, you know, they, they had to be uh, evacuated, air, airlifted out of there because they were so dehydrated. They did not know where good sources of water were, and they were not prepared. The shepherd, though, a good shepherd and a wise shepherd, knows exactly where the great water spots are. He knows where exactly to bring his sheep. So let me ask you this. Did not the Lord provide for his children in the wilderness for water? Remember, they cried out. Remember, it was a short time they're out in the wilderness after the Red Sea, and they were crying for, for water. We're thirsty. Moses, do something. And we know that what? Moses took it. He, remember, he uh, hit the rock, and the, and the rock poured out. So it's amazing to see that God did provide water in the children, for the children of Israel. So when we think about the water here, now we have the idea, I want to kind of still look at here, we're talking about sources of water, but let's talk about what does it mean by still water? Usually what we're thinking about is just normal standing water, just still water. But the idea behind it in Hebrew is actually a little bit deeper. Still water actually in Hebrew has the idea of comfort. It's a, it's a water for resting, it's comforting, it's peaceful waters. So beside comforting waters, beside waters of peace is the idea. In other words, they are not raging rapids or anything, but they are protected waters for that. Within that, the, the sheep, here's the thing. If the sheep are notice anything off, they're, they're not going to drink it, okay? So the shepherd's role in this is this, that he will safely, uh, they, the sheep can safely drink under the watchful eye of the good shepherd. You know, God beckons us to come to him and drink from the water of life. And in that he watches over our soul, he cares for us so that we do not have to drink in haste. We do not have to drink with threats around us because the shepherd is there to protect us. He does that while we eat of the tender grasses under his care and he also does it uh, during the waters as well. So the still water, like I said, is the idea of comfort and uh, comforting waters. This is a reminder of the gently flowing stream of the Pool of Siloam. You probably remember the story in Jerusalem. In the southern part, there's called the Pool of Siloam. Remember, this is the area where Hezekiah dug a tunnel from the Gihon Spring all the way to the Pool of Siloam during the time of the Assyrian attack of Sennacherib. Uh, later on in the Gospels, Jesus in, in John chapter 9 actually healed a blind man. He said he put... Uh, clay over his eyes and says, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And this is the area where, where that took place. Those waters that are there are peaceful, protected uh, waters that are waters of comfort. But here's the thing in um, Isaiah chapter 8. Isaiah warned the children of Israel. This is, of course, 700 years before Jesus. But there was an impending threat of the Assyrian army that was taking place in Israel during that time. Israel had abandoned the, the way of the Lord. They were looking for ways to meet their own needs. And during a time of peace, Isaiah is challenging the people, go and drink from the waters of the Lord. Be refreshed in him. Trust in him. And he actually says this. He actually mentions the pool of Siloam uh, that is there. 
And God, and the thing is this, the people would not do it. They would not hearken to the Lord. They would not drink from the waters of his supply. Rather, they would basically trust in their own strength is the idea. What happened was this. Isaiah warned them that, well, you didn't drink out of that peaceful water. You did not trust the Lord when it mattered. And because of your rebellion against God, he was going to send judgment. And that's when Assyrian, by the way, in Isaiah 8, he says this, that Assyria will come in like a mighty river as opposed to a peaceful water, still water. And so how important is to trust the Lord when it matters? A lot of times people trust, they say, I'm going to trust the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd because I'm in a crisis. I'm in way over my head right now, and I don't know how I can get myself out of this. And all of a sudden we cry, oh, God, please help me. You know, does God hear those prayers? And I think he does. But I think in peaceful times that you have, this is a time to trust God as your shepherd. Trust him to lead you to green pastures. Trust him to lead you beside the peaceful waters. That he can, the next part is, restore your soul. Let God do this in your life. We also see here, it's interesting, think of David as the shepherd, but also as one of God's sheep. When David was on the run from King Saul, and, and we were like I said, on Sunday evenings we were learning about King Saul and the ups and downs of this relationship. But David is running from King Saul and he goes down near the Dead Sea and he comes to a spring called En Gedi. En Gedi means the spring of the goat. And in the middle of the desert, all of a sudden you go in the back and all of a sudden you find this lush waterfall and these still waters. God provided for David a place of refuge and safety and nourishment right there. God cares for David as a shepherd and he cares for you. And that's the point of today is this, the good shepherd cares for you. I'm afraid when we're doing this is that we, like Israel, have forsaken God. God is the true source of all life. He is the one who gives us the grass and the green pastures to feed. He's the one who leads us beside the peaceful and still waters. He knows exactly where those pastures are. He knows exactly where those sources of water are. Yet we as sheep, we go our own way and we go astray. And how many people, they try to do life without God. And guess what? It doesn't work. It does not work, folks. How much we need to trust the good shepherd. I reminded what Jesus said in the, in the Beatitudes in, in Matthew chapter 5. He said this, Blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Amen. As we look at this here, he maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He, God provides for our needs. The shepherd cares for you. That's the thing. The shepherd cares for you. Only God, the good shepherd, can bring life and refreshment to a thirsty soul. The psalmist said this, O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. And like I said, in a land that seems that like it lacks everything, if the good shepherd, you will lack nothing. You will have everything you need. The point of this passage today in the first two verses that we've had, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. The point of this is the shepherd feeds and leads his sheep. For the sheep, for the, for the shape, the shepherd is everything. And we receive the greatest care when we follow the good shepherd. Stay close to Jesus, the good shepherd. Because why? The good shepherd cares for you. I must ask, if you're here today, what is your relationship with God? Do you know Jesus Christ as the good shepherd? 
Bible says here that the good shepherd, why is he good? Because he giveth his life for the sheep. Jesus, our shepherd, went to the cross to die for our sins. He shed his blood. He died there for you and for me. He was buried and he rose again the third day, triumphant over sin and death. And he calls all to become one of his sheep, all to come and trust in him. If you're here today or those are watching online today and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, let it be today. Is Jesus really your shepherd? You might like Isaiah, uh, Psalm 23 here, but can you actually say that the Lord is my shepherd? Do you, can you actually say that? I pray today, if you do not know him, get that settled in your heart today. And when that what happens, what? You get to follow him and he will lead you and guide you and care for you each step of the way. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He cares for you.